All right. Um, so like Tim said, I'm Shaza. I'm the youth pastor here. Um, I have been for about four years now, I think. And I have two podiums up here in a million papers because I am probably the most high maintenance and extra person on our staff that they put up with me anyways. And they're laughing because it's true. Um, but we are on week two of a series called Cancel Culture. Um, for those of you that aren't familiar with the term, cancel culture refers to the popular practice of withdrawing support, canceling, um, people or things that have done or said something considered objectionable or offensive. Now, some of the things might be valid, some aren't, but either way, it's like culture's way of literally just like nixing something, casting shame on it. Um, and our society has its own set of standards of what they consider to be cancelable, but truly, um, canceling things like isn't all bad, right? Like, and so Tim has started this series to talk about some things that we as Christians and followers of Jesus, if we want to truly look like him, need to be able to cancel from our lives. But we're going to do it through the lens of scripture versus what society deems as like good, bad, cancelable, you know, or whatever. And so last week he, man, he brought the word. I was really touched. He talked about um, the importance of canceling apathy and sin from our lives. Like if we're Christians, there's no room for apathy. We've got to be passionate. We have to be all in 100%. There's no room for sin, not because of legalism, but because we want to make room in our lives for the Holy Spirit because we want to look like Jesus. Like if we're true disciples, if we're true followers of Jesus, we should be looking more and more like him every single day. And so I feel like today's message kind of piggybacks on last week. It almost like cycles with each other. And so we're going to talk today um, about canceling shame, which is kind of ironic because the whole like premise of cancel culture is to cast shame on people or things, or organizations. But as we know, there is no place or no room for shame in the body of Christ. There's no room for shame as believers. It's not God's plan for us to carry shame. And so we're going to talk a little bit about what it looks like to cancel shame from our lives. Um, and so I want to start off to talk about like what shame is, because I think we can be confused a little bit about the subject of shame. Um, we can sometimes confuse it with like guilt or you know conviction or different things. And so I think it's important before we talk about canceling shame, we can identify what shame is. And so um, shame is the painful emotion that is caused by a consciousness of guilt failure, or impropriety that often results in the paralyzing conviction or belief that one is worthless, of no value to others or to God, unacceptable, and altogether deserving of disdain and rejection. It directly um, attacks our identity. And so guilt can make us like we feel bad about maybe something we've done. Conviction like pinpoints things that aren't like good for us, that propels us to Jesus. Shame attacks our identity and our worth and our value, and it causes us to run and hide and cover ourselves. And um, it's just, it's, it's not God's plan for us at all. And so um, a couple more things that shame is. It is a direct result and byproduct of sin that either we've committed or has been committed against us. And shame is often part of a cycle. So while, um, and we'll talk about this in a couple minutes where like shame first came from, it comes from sin. However, it then leads us into a cycle of continued sin. So whether it was sin that we've caused or sin that was committed against us, it stems from sin. But then it'll either cause us, because shame is unbearable, truly. Like if you have ever... Um, it like really just robs you of our identity. I love um, 
I've always loved working with like the homeless population, but one of the things that would always break my heart and I would try to like combat is if you've ever talked to some of these people that are out there, if they're out there long enough, they get to a point where they can't even make eye contact when you're talking to them because they feel so much shame and so much loss um, of their identity. And so shame is so unbearable when you sit in it that you almost don't feel human anymore. You don't feel lovable. You don't feel, and it doesn't always, so sometimes you might be thinking, well, I don't feel that deepness. That doesn't mean that there's not still shame that we're holding on to, but that's just what happens when we allow it to like fester and rot and continue to grow. And it will, if it's not dealt with. And so what happens is when you feel that shame, it's going to, it propels you into trying to numb that feeling because you don't want to sit in it. Does that make sense? And so instead of running to the Lord um, for healing and freedom, oftentimes when we're walking in shame, we, we just repeat a cycle and we get stuck. And so like the shame breeds sin, then the sin breeds more shame, and then it just keeps going and keeps going. And it's sometimes it's not even the same sin. It becomes a gateway to other sins um, because we're just trying to like feel better. And then in addition to that, shame cripples us to the point where we're not reaching out for help. So we're not actually finding freedom. And so it, um, and I'm going to talk about this a little bit more. I'll say it again, but I was reading a book with our student leadership. And one of the things that talked about was um, how the enemy is not afraid of anything that you do in your own effort. Like we, by ourselves, we think that we're like, you know, all of this, but like in ourselves, we don't, we don't have a lot of power, but um, he wants to keep us from running to the Lord because the Lord is so powerful and he's already defeated him. And so this is like a silly like way that I see it, but maybe just cause I'm a parent, but if you've I don't know, maybe it's just my kids, but I remember when they were little, if they would like fight and one of them would like hurt the other one or like hurt their feelings or say something, I just remember like the panic of the kid that like was the offender would be like, oh no, don't tell mom, don't tell dad. And they would do everything in their power to be like, you can have my Barbie, I'll clean your room for a week, like just don't tell because they know that if they go to the authority that like there's, there, it's going to be dealt with. Does that make sense? There's consequences. And so the enemy will try to cast shame to keep you to run from the father because he knows that if he can keep you trying to fight your sin in your own power, it's you're just going to be like, a, what is it like running a hamster running on a little like wheel or whatever. But if he can keep you, like if you can break that cycle and run to the Lord, man, there's freedom, there's power, there's um, new life. There, I mean, it's just, it's, and we'll talk a little bit more about that as I get into the message. But so it's often a cycle between shame and sin, shame and sin. Um, and it's important to recognize that shame is not the same as a conviction or accountability. We, um, we live in a society these days where people don't want, like, you know, anytime that you try to speak truth and love to somebody, it's like, well, don't shame me, don't judge me, don't, like, so it's important to recognize that accountability, that conviction should never make you feel, it doesn't make you feel naked, it's lifting you up, and, like, it's, <sighs> conviction draws us to, to the Lord. Does that make sense? It makes us aware of things that we need to cast away that draws us to the Lord and lifts us up. Shame tries to keep things in hiding. Does that make sense? And so it's a little bit of the difference between like, um, you're not going to see behavior modification through shaming people because what that does is just creates, um, like, as long as I don't get caught, it's okay. Does that make sense? Because shame is about like image, I, you know, what people think versus like true life change is brought through like heart change, the Holy Spirit, because that actually like changes us. And so conviction changes us at its core and it like lifts us, like it draws us to the Lord. Shame will keep us, you know, in the darkness, hiding in the darkness. Um, and so... 
Um, one of the things I want to talk about real quick before we really get into it is how can I tell if I'm struggling with shame? Because even as I was writing this message, I was trying to dig, you know, into the different ways that shame can manifest. Um, the biggest thing that we see, and this is kind of like the, this is what we see um, when we get ready, when we're going to talk in a little bit about when we first see shame introduced to the world, is um, it creates a fear of intimacy with God and others, and even a fear of being like alone with ourselves, because we don't want to see, like, we don't want to sit with like the lowness that we feel. Does that make sense? Um, it's due to a fear of people finding out what you do or who you really are, even a fear of having to come to terms with it yourself. And so fear is the killer of intimacy any sort, whether it's with the Lord or with others. However, um, there are some other ways that we can see um, shame kind of manifest sneakily. So some other ways that we can see shame manifest is um, with feelings of worthlessness, inadequacy, embarrassment, and insecurity. Another way is people-pleasing, being devastated by criticism and highly motivated and affected by people's thoughts or opinions. And it doesn't mean that, like, we should never care what other people think or, like, you know, obviously criticism, like, and nobody loves criticism, but there's a difference between it truly, like, devastating you to your core. Does that make sense? Or being so motivated um, by wanting to please other people. And that is, like, typically the fruit of a root of shame because we are trying to, to like, to be loved to be enough, to strive, and it, it comes from that root. Um, never feeling like enough. So like one pendulum, it's like we're striving, striving, striving. Another is we just don't even bother trying out of feel, fear of failure and fear, fear of not being enough. And so if you catch yourself kind of sitting in that place of like just lowness and like feeling like there's there's no point in trying. And then this one, when I was reading on how shame manifests, like surprised me a little bit, but it says a root of shame can also be disguised as having overly high standards for yourself and others that then produces anger when those expectations aren't met. And so um, that's not something that I probably would have thought of when I just first started thinking of shame. A lot of times we just think of like wanting to hide, right? But sometimes it can cause us to like hyper go the other way. And again, having high standards for yourselves and others is not bad, but there's a difference with like the root of that. Does that make sense? And oftentimes with shame, we can see anger begin to manifest because we feel out of control or we're like, we, like we're just, we're scared of, of people kind of seeing that vulnerability. Does that make sense? And so um, I want to talk a little bit about where we first see shame introduced in the Bible and into the world. And so we're going to read Genesis 3, 1 through 13. It says, so here we see Adam and Eve in the garden. And it says, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees of the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from that tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave it to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? 
He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you are naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me fruit from the tree and I ate it. And then the Lord said to the woman, what is it that you've done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate it. And so a couple of verses that I just want to pinpoint. One, isn't it just like the devil to try to like manipulate what the word says? And so we see in verse three when he's like, but did God really say? And so oftentimes um, our first course of like protection from shame is just to like to honor the Lord and walk in obedience. Like we talked last week about um, canceling apathy and canceling, you know, the sin that comes along with that. And so I think it's just important that we protect ourselves from the schemes of the enemy because a lot of times I think we're expecting him to come out in like a red suit and a pitchfork and like have all these awful things, you know, for you to do. But oftentimes it's just a little twisting of God's word. It's a tweaking of what God has called you to do. It's like partial. Well, why don't we just give partial obedience, not full obedience? Or did God really say like, oh, surely he didn't mean it that way. Or like, really, it's probably not bad enough. And so we first see where shame is brought into the world was as a direct result of disobedience to the Lord and to sin. Um, but then we go on to verse seven and it says, you know, so they ate the fruit. They, um, they were disobedient. They, they allowed sin into their lives. And it says the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. So their next response was to feel immediate, like shame, nakedness, like, um, just didn't feel good the way they were. And so they covered themselves. And then it goes on in verse eight through 10, where it says they heard God coming. And so they ran and hid from him. And then eventually we see them start to blame each other um, and try to, and here's what's funny is that what they said when they were blaming was not untrue, right? Like these, the serpent did convince her to eat. The woman did give it to the man. However, there, when we walk in shame, there's a lack of personal accountability as well. When we start to like pass the blame on everyone else, like, yes, that was true, but we still, we still made a choice. And so I'm going to talk a little bit more about those verses as I get into my points. Um, but shame, like we see, like it changes everything from this moment on that sin entered and shame entered, like everything was changed for Adam and Eve and for mankind for generations to come. Shame is one of the most damaging things that we can put on and hold on to because it directly attacks our identity and every right relationship we are meant to be in and it stifles growth. And so I want to talk about what we see in these verses, three different relationships that shame will um, attack and will like truly like just kill off if we don't learn how to cancel shame in our lives. And the first one is um, it attacks our relationship with ourselves and our identity. So verse seven, we see the first thing they did is they saw that they were naked and they covered themselves up and they hid. And so what happens is we begin to hold an inaccurate view of our identity in Christ. It keeps us from fulfilling the plans and purposes God has for us. We begin to operate out of fear, rather out of faith. We can't function as people of God because we become so bogged down by shame and we don't grow and break free from sin. And so Romans 8, 1 through 4 tells us, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving us a son as a sacrifice for our sins. 
He did this so that he, just as he did this so that just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature but instead follow the spirit. And so what's so beautiful about this is that like once we accept Jesus into our lives and we repent and we're following him, like there's no more condemnation. We don't have to live a life of shame. We don't have to live in this cycle of sin, shame, sin, shame. Like there is opportunity for it to be broken free. But what happens is when we allow shame into our lives, we don't walk in the promises of God. We don't walk in the fulfillment of the things that he's done for us. We don't walk in our identity or our calling because we don't even view ourselves the way that like the Lord views us and biblically what God is saying about us. We don't see ourselves as new creations. We don't see ourselves as sons and daughters of the King. We don't see ourselves as walking with authority and power of the Holy Spirit. And so what happens is we allow shame to stifle us and stifle the things the Lord wants to do to us. So instead of being like a light and a beacon of hope and a source of power in the workplace and in our homes and in our churches and in our communities, we allow shame to cause us to sit back and not fulfill the plans and the purposes that he has for us. And so it directly attacks who we are and what the Lord has called us to do. The second relationship and the most important that it attacks, and I'm sorry, that's it's my third one. No, yeah, no, it is. Our, our most important is it attacks our relationship with the Lord. So verse eight to 10, we see for the first time, they hear the Lord coming to walk with them and they run and hide, which is so silly because the Lord created them. He created the garden. Like he knows, like, like fig leaves are gonna cover up. Like he can't see through that or he didn't create all of them, right? Um, but they cover themselves up and they hide and um, the hiding just represents like a lack of vulnerability with the Lord and so um, I said this earlier but I just thought it was so powerful the enemy is not afraid of your best efforts he's not afraid of my best efforts what he's afraid of is us calling on the name of the Lord and the power that that holds and so he I need you to know he's going to do everything in his power to keep you from doing that however we don't have to allow him to do that we can choose to to just cast off shame. We can choose to cast off the chains and the bondages of the enemy. And we can choose to cry out to the Lord and to not run and hide. And oftentimes we think because we have a relationship with the Lord or because, you know, we've been Christians for so long or we hear his voice that we're not hiding. But what I've noticed is a lot of times we can be like 90% vulnerable with the Lord and then hide a little nook and cranny away. And so we, we fool ourselves and we deceive ourselves because we're thinking, no, I have this great relationship with the Lord. He knows me. Like I pray. I'm on but there's like a little something that we're holding back or we're hiding and that will create that cycle of shame and, the, and sin over and over until it like snuffs out like it snuffs us out like it buries us um, it's going to eventually snowball out of control and so I think it's important that we're honest with ourselves and we recognize are we are we hiding anything from the Lord are we holding anything back and sometimes it even happens in seasons like I've seen it in my life I've seen it in others where because we're measuring um, we're trying to earn our salvation. If we feel like we're not performing up to a certain, you know, whatever standard that we've set, we we like wait to get in the presence of God or we wait to have our quiet time or maybe we're going to skip church this Sunday because we didn't, you know, whatever. And so instead of running to the Lord when we're weak and when we're struggling so that his power can come and wash us clean and empower us and break those cycles, we're holding just a little bit back. Um, 
And so then the third relationship that it attacks is our relationship with each other. Um, it keeps us from building healthy relationships with others because we keep everyone at a distance. Um, shame and love cannot exist in the same place. And I'm not even just talking about like romantic love, but one of my favorite quotes since I was probably in college, um, it was literally on my Facebook quote thing forever. It's a C.S. Lewis quote, and I wasn't sure if I was going to share it or not, but I think it kind of goes along with the idea of like shame and needing to be vulnerable is that we were created for love, right? Love, relationship with the Lord, love with each other. Um, those of us that have spouses and kids, I mean, just love, like even in the church, like we're called to love one another, right? But what happens is shame doesn't allow us to be vulnerable. And when we're not vulnerable, love cannot exist. And so one of my favorite quotes is C.S. Lewis, and it says, to love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything in your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it'll change. It will not be broken. It'll become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. And so I think we see a lot of people, Christians, who are living life without experiencing any type of like love. And again, I'm not just talking about like romantic love, but like we were designed to build each other up, to love each other. We were designed um, to carry each other's burdens. However, if we have so much shame that it is crippling us from being able to be vulnerable with one another, we're not going to be able to walk in the love that the Lord has called us to walk in. Um, and when we fail to do that, we become isolated, which ironically is what actually makes us weak and vulnerable to the schemes of the enemy. And so it's not us sharing our burdens and our sins and our downfalls and our struggles with each other that makes us vulnerable and weak. It's actually quite the opposite that leaves us alone. You think of like the animal kingdom. I don't know much about like science and animal, but I know enough to know that like whatever the predator animals are, lions, whatever, tigers, bears, oh my, I don't know. Like whatever like animal is by itself and like sick is the one that's going to get eaten, right? But if it, they have their like, what do you call it? Like a flock, your pack? I don't know. Um, all those other animals that they hang out with, like there's protection in there. Does that make sense? And so we think we're protecting ourselves and we're saving ourselves by locking everything up in a box because we don't want people to see the real us or see our imperfections or see our downfalls. But in reality, the exact opposite is happening. And the enemy is having a heyday with our minds, with our our hearts, with our souls, spirits, I mean everything, because we have not allowed ourselves to step out and be in fellowship and community with one another because we've allowed shame to rob us of one of the like, most beautiful gifts that the Lord has given us, which is fellowship and relationship with one another and love. Um, we also don't get the help that we need. And so, like I said, that goes back to continuing in that cycle of shame, sin, shame, sin, because I mean, it's, you know, it even talks in the scripture, what is it like a uh, I can't talk, what is it? A strand of three cords is not easily broken. Um, iron sharpens iron. Like we need each other. It's part of God's plan that we in the church are building each other up, that we have people speaking into our lives that are correcting us when we're wrong. I have people in my life that I've given like, listen, if you see something unhealthy in me, tell me. Like, I, like I'll try not to get my feelings hurt. I'll try not to get offended. If I do in a moment, I'll deal with that with the Lord. But I don't want things in my life that are, I may be missing that aren't good for me or good for those around 
around me. And so I want to encourage you guys, if you are trying to do this Christian life on your own, it's going to be really difficult. And there's not going to be, I'm not saying you can't follow the Lord on your own. I'm just going to, I'm just going to say it's not, you're not going to live out the fullest of what the Lord has for you. And there's not going to be very much growth because that's not part of his plan. His plan is for the church. It's for us to be together. It's to develop each other. It's to have people in our lives that are calling us on our stuff. Um, it's one of the reasons we have connect groups is yes, it's part like teaching and learning, but it's part so that we can come together and be able to like speak into each other's lives and do life together. And when one person's weak, another person can, you know, step in and like give them encouragement and vice versa. Like that is God's plan for us in the church. It's not that we would come in on a Sunday morning, listen to a message, you know, listen to some great worship with my girl, Deb, because we have the best worship leader ever. Um, but it's that we would actually do life together, that we would um, encourage each other, that we would help each other, like push each other to Christ um, and to be able to like iron sharpens iron, like to help grow each other. But that can't happen when we allow shame to exist because because what can even happen is maybe we can even fool ourselves into thinking, well, I come to small groups, I come to Sunday mornings, I come to all of the events, but we're trying to keep everything packed in because we don't want people to see the things that we're carrying. And that I'm telling you is a scheme of the enemy to keep you trapped. It's to keep you like not free. And so I truly, I'm, I'm at a point in my life that my prayer has been like, God, I would rather everyone see that I am such a hot mess. Our staff gets on to me all the time for saying I'm a hot mess, but truly it's because I don't ever want to perpetuate a picture that we have to have it all together for the Lord to move or to be used by the Lord. And if me pretending that I have it all together is going to keep somebody else bound, then I just don't want it. I'd rather, you know, I'm an idiot, <laughs> like to be honest, but truly like it's, I don't say that like in a self, like it's because I know that anything good that is in me or from me is from the Lord. Lord, and I want people to be able to see that they can come into a place and that's what the church is for. It's not, it's a hospital for the sick, right? And so if we're coming in here and pretending that we have it all together, what's the point? Like there is none. And so I want to encourage you guys to really just evaluate, like, are there people in my life who are godly and hear from the Lord that I'm allowing to see the full scope of the real me on a day to day? Because there's times that I may not be able to hear from the Lord, but they might be able to hear like from the Lord on my behalf um, or to be able to encourage me or see things that I can't see and vice versa. Like we need each other. Um, and so we don't get help. We don't grow and we miss out on just beautiful relationships. Um, and then we see that Adam and Eve blamed each other. Um, so we lack, we, we lack personal accountability when we allow shame to set in. Um, and then also what can happen is maybe, and I don't, I'm trying to figure out if it's still like a root of shame in us and it just produces this, but we can start to cut, to cast shame on other people. And so we can start to turn a blind eye. I think what happens is we don't want to address the shame in our own lives and our inadequacies and all of that. And so what happens is we fix it on everybody else. And instead of showing people the love, the grace, the mercy that points people to Jesus, we tear them down. We heap shame on people created in the image of God, instead of pointing people to freedom and speaking life over them and to them, we repeat the cycle and we bury them in shame with judgment. We're quick to judge, look down, call out, think we're better than. Um, it's, I mean, I, I've said it before, don't fire me, Tim. Like, I don't love politics. I know they're important, but one of the reasons that I like don't love it is I see Christians on both sides, like I'm not like partial to one or the other, become so nasty to other people, like because they disagree with them. And we are calling people idiots and we're calling them stupid 
in and how could they? And we're just, we're casting shame and death. And it's not just politics. It's anyone who thinks differently than us. It's the person who was rude to us at the grocery store. It's our kids. It's our spouses. If they've let us down, we cast shame on them and we don't allow them to break free because, man, I saw it in my marriage for like a season. Um, that we have people around us that are trying to break free and we don't allow them to because we haven't resolved shame in our life. So we are just continually casting shame on children of God versus speaking life and lifting up. Does that make sense? And so it doesn't just affect us. It begins to affect everyone around us. But the good news is, is that Jesus has overcome shame and we don't have to live in it. Romans 5.19 says, for just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners. So also through the obedience of the one man, many will be made righteous. And so Deb, I think, shared something on our Instagram this week, and it talked about how, like, just like sin came into the world through one man in a tree, like, isn't it like God to take that same thing to show the enemy has no power, that he was able to bring the the solution, salvation, healing through one man in a tree to negate that, like, the enemy, like, the enemy has nothing that he can use. Um, to negate his the Lord's plans. And so um, we have been bought with a price. We don't have to walk in our sin. We don't have to live in our sin. We don't have to live in our shame anymore. Um, and so I just, why do we hold on to the things that Jesus died to free us from? Romans 10, 11 says, anyone who believes, where is it? As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. And so we need to cling. I mean, I, I had to scale back so many verses from this message because there were so many passages that talked about how we don't have to live in shame. We don't have to walk in shame. What it is to, ha- to walk in our new identity in Christ. Um, however, but we do have a choice. Like we have to choose to cast off shame. One of my favorite songs is Stephanie Gretzinger and it's um, Out of Hiding. And there's this line and it says, he tore the veil so we could come close. And so when Jesus died on the cross, there was an earthquake that tore the veil in the temple that separated the sinful people from the Holy of Holies as a symbol that we have, we now have direct access to him. And that whole song, listen to it when you get home. It's one of my favorites, but that's the whole concept of this is we can come out of hiding. We're safe. We don't have to pretend. We don't have to strive. Like we can come into the presence of the God Almighty, like who's a good, good father. And he washes us clean and he cleanses us and he purifies us. Um, and so I want to encourage you not to allow the enemy to rob you of the freedom that the Lord has purchased you, purchased for you. And so this is how I'm going to end today, um, is truly we can cancel shame by making the difficult decision that we want the fullness of God, of what God has for us, more than we fear the sting of rejection, um, or being hurt. And so truly, I think sometimes, I think there's a lot of things we under-spiritualize in the church, but I think there's some things that we over-spiritualize also. And some of those things are just the cure to the things that we're needing. And so truly, it's going to be just having to want those things bad enough and making a decision to, like, and I joke, it says we have to be willing to get naked with God and each other, like not physically, please do not strip off all your clothes. But truly, it is like a practical conscious decision. Um, I wasn't planning on sharing this story, but I'm going to do it really quickly. But one of the insecurities that I have like held on to in my life has always been just not I don't always feel like I'm the smartest, which is fine. But um, there have been multiple moments in my life where I've had, a, I've had a choice to make on if I could be vulnerable or if I could hide. And so one of those, I really wasn't planning on sharing this, but I remember one of my favorite families in our church is the church family. It's Amy and Ted and their kids who I love. And I remember they were new to our church and I had just had Audrey and I was working and sleep deprived and I was still struggling with feeling um, 
like I was the right, you know, fit as the youth pastor. I just felt less than. And I remember going to their house for like lunch or something and talking to Amy. And anyone that knows William knows he's like the smartest person like ever. And they bust out this book and they're talking about all of this, um, just like different like theological, biblical stuff. And I remember like in my sleep deprivation and just like I had a newborn, anyone that knows has experienced that knows that makes you crazy. But I remember getting in my car and being like, this like 17 year old is way smarter than me. I have no business being this kid's youth pastor whatsoever. I'm pretty sure I called Brady, who's like my big brother and I quit. I was like, listen, I'm dumb. Like let that kid be the youth pastor. Like I was like, I don't know how to help this kid. Um, But I remember like a week or two later, just I was in a season in my life where I was struggling and needed some personal healing from things. And I felt like the Lord say to call Amy. And I was like, no, she's going to think I'm an idiot. Like I can't go and tell her all of my, you know what I mean? Like all of my deepest, darkest, whatever. But I had a, I had a choice in that moment. I could choose to lean into the shame and continue to struggle and suffer. Or I could push, push past that and allow myself to be vulnerable with somebody the way that the Lord intended. And I'm so thankful for that relationship that I have with them now. Do they think I'm an idiot? Probably, but I know that they love me and I love them. But that's like one story in my life of countless times that I've had to make the decision to like just say yes, scared, just say yes, being vulnerable. And have there been times in my life that that has backfired? Yes. There have been times that I have chosen to be vulnerable and let people see um, like all of me and they maybe have rejected me or thought less and that's okay because at the end of the day it's the Lord that I have to answer to and it's the Lord that sees me and so I want to encourage you guys if you've maybe been hurt before it's okay like I'm sorry that that happened I've been there but it says that even Jesus was rejected and so I don't know who we think we are that we can't handle the sting of rejection when our Lord and Savior who literally hung on a tree naked for us when we were least deserving like was rejected and is currently being rejected and so I want encourage you guys. Sometimes we over-spiritualize this, but if you want to break the chains of shame, make the decision to just be vulnerable with the Lord and with people. Slow your life down, make time, and just do it. And I'm telling you guys, um, the Lord will move and he'll work. I'm not going to read the whole scripture because we're going to wrap up, but I can think of like countless times throughout scriptures where we see the Lord do amazing, beautiful things with people that felt shame, but still chose to pursue him anyways. I think of the woman that struggled with the issue of blood. She had literally been bleeding. I think it was like 12 years in this crowd. And in that culture, just being a woman made you less than. And then to have a condition like that made you even more less than. And she pushes past the crowd just to touch the hem of his garment and is healed. And then Jesus, you know, is trying to figure out like who touched me. He's asking. And it says that because she was ashamed, she didn't speak up at first. But then she eventually, when she knew she was going to be found out, like threw herself at the feet of Jesus. Um, and I'm telling you, like, that's one of those hard decisions, right? It's I can stay sick or I can just look past my shame and touch the garment, like the hem of his garment so that there can be life change. And so sometimes it's just doing it scared. It's doing it while you're still walking through it and saying, Jesus, I just need a touch. I think of the adulterous woman that walked into the, um, was it the Pharisee's house where Jesus was and like literally washed his feet with her hair. She reached a point where she just needed Jesus more than she cared about her shame. She needed Jesus more than she cared about what people thought of her. She needed Jesus more than she cared about her reputation 
reputation or her image. We have to get to that point. I think for of Paul, I'm sure it wasn't easy to go from literally murdering Christians to advancing the gospel. There had to be shame there. He even talks about like his weaknesses, but that how he's choosing to boast in them because in his weakness, the Lord can be glorified. And the good news is, guys, we don't have to have to have it all together. He makes up the difference. He fills in the gap. And so you don't have to feel shame for being imperfect, but we can run to the Father and we can cast off that shame and know that he makes up the difference. And so my heart and my prayer today is that we would not waste what the Lord did on the cross for us by continuing to walk a cycle of shame, sin, apathy, shame, sin, apathy, but we would choose freedom. We would choose relationship and intimacy with the Lord. We would choose to walk in the fullness of what he has for us. And so I'm going to go ahead um, and close us in prayer. Um, And I'm just trying to make sure I've got my stuff together. I'm missing a page and that's okay. Um, I know here it is. Here's one last verse that I wanted to share with you guys actually before we close. So here's like the deal. Shame, right? Leaves us feeling naked, worthless, inadequate. But the beautiful thing is Jesus wants to clothe you. Isaiah 61.10 says, it's up here because I can't find my paper. It says, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness as a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. But here's the deal, guys. Oftentimes what we try to do as Christians is we try to put on the garments that he has for us on top of like what we are carrying already. I don't know how many of you watch Friends, but this isn't like a Joey situation where he goes into Chandler's and he's like putting on all of his clothes and we're bulking up. Like it's not natural, it won't work. It doesn't allow us to fully be clothed in the Lord. But he needs us to take off the shame, the sin, the fear, the rejection, the apathy as we're taking off all of these things. Only then can we put on the garments that he has for us and walk in our true identity with the Lord. And so I'm gonna go ahead and close in prayer real quick. If you guys could bow your heads and close your eyes. Um, I believe that there's some people in here that are needing to know what it is to walk in the fullness of freedom, of shame, um, and all of the things that that brings. And so um, before I pray, if you feel like the Lord is speaking to you, that you have been carrying shame, you have been allowing it to stifle you from running to the Father or having right relationship with others or even viewing yourself the way that the Lord sees you and has created you to be, would you slip up your hand real quick so that I can pray for you? I'm not going to make anybody come up or do anything crazy or drastic, Um, but I'm going to go ahead and pray. Lord, I thank you so much that you're a loving father. I thank you that you are not some far off God that is asking us and demanding us to strive and perform, but instead you've already sent your son to pay the price. I pray right now against any scheme of the enemy, Lord, to keep your children in bondage of shame. I pray right now that you would soften hearts, you would wipe away um, everything that we're trying to cover up with, Lord God, so that you can clothe us in the things that you have for us. I pray for new mindsets, Lord. I pray um, for the relationships that are going to be birthed in this place, Lord, for the freedom, for the healing that's to come, Lord. I pray um, that we would have a people that would know what it is to walk in the fullness of the things you've called them to, in the freedom from shame, from sin, from bondage, from anything that they've been holding on to. In your precious name, amen.
we're going to have some people up here to pray. If you're wanting specific prayer over shame or anything else really in your life, then um, we'll have some prayer partners up here today. But for everyone else, I hope you guys have a great day. And I pray that you would just allow the Holy Spirit to continue um, to reveal to you areas in which you might be clinging to shame versus casting it off and walking in the fullness of the things the Lord has for you. Have a great day.